probably at this time in January, you're wondering what we're doing reading part of the Bible story that talks about Jesus' birth before telling of it as Jesus spoke to that angel. In a recent email from our senior minister, um, he invited those of us who were visiting preachers taking the service uh, to speak on something which we felt led to speak on, not to follow his theme of the teachers to pray, and that gave two uh, thrusts to it. The first was a freedom for us, and secondly, it, it saved him having to work through uh, and then have his train of thought interrupted as such. So that's why <clears throat> this morning we're not taking that same continuing subject, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, when I um, <clears throat> used that game of Twister in the children's talk, I had it in mind how we could use that as illustrating how often we get ourselves into some impossible positions. And as our subject this morning is going to be nothing is impossible with God, I, I kind of wanted to use that uh, as a kind of a theme. I know um, it's not exactly something that you all would have played this morning, but seeing it played if, even for the first time, you can see the muddles we can get into. But going back, if I might just go back <clears throat> a minute, if I can make this thing work. I don't know whether any of you will remember that, but that, of course, is a picture of our church here in Burlington uh, many, many years ago. In fact, in the, in the 60s, I'm sorry about the quality of the photograph, but it's like me, it's getting old. And in any case, um, we didn't have the technology that we have today. That is the picture of Burlington, and that's how it was when I was a boy here, when I was baptized here. That's what it was. You used to go through a little bit underneath by where the communion table stands after you'd been baptized in this baptistry here. But it actually had got to look a little bit shabby. Um, over the years, I mean, that's looking from the other direction. Look at this great big lamp that came down over there, and, and that's looking from behind where the choir stalls were to the back of the church. And it was pretty dark and dingy. Well, it was like that because over the war years, nothing had been done to maintain it. But the minister of the time, the Reverend Alan Easter, got us all energetically organized to clean it all up. He actually said, I'll tell you what, if we scrape it clean with little chips of glass, we can make it all nice and bright and shiny. And there we have the old, it's the whole building front there. And bit by bit by bit, all this gallery around here and all the pews you're sitting on, which were dark, thick uh, varnish, if you want to see what it really looked like after this service, don't go, well, you could, I suppose, but don't really go up to the back of the church, at the top of the gallery, and if you look at the very rear pew, you'll see it's still pretty thick with ghastly, uh, thick varnish. I'm not sure whether that was left as a reminder to us. That's what it looked like, but that's definitely what it did. But after a lot of painstaking effort, we cleaned it up, and it looked a bit more like that. Now, that, again, isn't exactly uh, what it's like now, but it, it was cleaner, you see, and, uh, and we replaced the pulpit, and um, that was Burnton after the renovation. But you were saying to me, but hang on a minute, our church doesn't look like that now. Well, it doesn't, does it? Why doesn't it look like that now? Well, the reason our church does not look like that now is because that was way back in 1964. And it isn't 1964 anymore, is it? It's, well, I can't get it to work now. This is one of the big problems with these things. It's 2010. And do you remember, last Boxing Day, our minister said to us, hey, I'm going to challenge you this year. I want to challenge you to do something different. Now, he wasn't actually suggesting that we scrape the pews again. 
I'm quite sure of that. I don't think that was in his mind, do you? Or that we redesigned the front stage again or, or anything else like that. I have a feeling that he had a, a, a bit more in mind. And you know, it's important, isn't it? Our church looks like it did, and you've just seen pictures of that way back in the 1960s, because that's what it was like then. But it doesn't look like that to now, because we've progressed, we've moved forward. And any progressive society, any progressive Christian, any progressive church has got to move forward. I once heard someone say, Christianity is a bit like uh, cycling. If you don't keep pedaling, you fall off. And it is, isn't it? If we don't keep going, we fall off. And so it is that Simon said to us, I would like you to think about doing something different in 2010, something you feel God might be challenging you about to, to help with your Christian life. And in facing up to some of today's secular demands, and they are a bit dubious, aren't they, some of them, when we, we, we modern man, for some reason, seems to be relentlessly leading himself towards a declining standard in today's world, as far as some of us old fogies are concerned. Anyway, I'm, some of the youngsters here probably don't look at it like that, but actually we do see declining standards in many respects, and it's sometimes a bit of a disaster to us, and we think, well, what can we do? What can Christians do? But you see, Christians are charged, if they're going to work for God in the right way, they're charged with the responsibility of making God known, showing through what we do in our lives that we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means some radical rethinking is now required if we're going to be effective. It's not to say that what we're doing now in our church isn't already radical and effective, but we need to keep on moving forward. You, it's a continuing tense. You can't just say, oh, we've got here, now we'll sit back on our laurels. It's an ongoing process. By and large, modern society doesn't really want to know much about Christianity, does it? it if you ask the typical man in the street what he thinks about the church, then he kind of doesn't really want to know. And in fact, um, says, well, I don't mind what you believe as long as you don't involve me. And it's all a bit easy, isn't it, for us to say, oh, well, all right, then. And we try to be politically correct and say, well, all right, if that's how you want to feel. But actually, there's, a, there's, a, there's something more to it than that. This culture we're in now has developed into a kind of anything-goes attitude, as long as you don't bother me with it. And so in many ways, to look back, even 10 years is bad enough, and see what's happened, let alone look back 50 years, because things were so different then. I mean, some of the songs we've sung this morning, well, they hadn't even been written, let alone uh, anything else, and certainly not sung. And as for the pulpit, where's okay, now you might say, and I might say in some of my moments, to be perfectly honest with you, I wish it was like it was. I wish it had not changed. I wish we still had, and all those sorts of things. But you know, there's a big danger in that. There's a big danger that we get stuck in what is comfortable stuck in what we know we can cope with. And that's why Simon said what he did. He said, I want you to think of something that God might be asking you to do this coming year. As I said just now, I don't think he really meant repair the crumbling walls or uh, paint the ceiling or repair this or that, although I'm sure that the Fabric Committee would be extremely grateful for all the help that's offered, and, uh, and they're doing a tremendous job. But I don't think he really had that in mind. Well, but, but, 
perhaps he did have, in a metaphorical sense, perhaps he did have in mind the ongoing building of the church because the church is not the building, is it? It's us, it's the people, is it? And he was challenging us to be ongoing, to forward look in our lives. And important though it is to, to do the basic practical things and, and build new buildings and, and keep the place in good repair, it's also important, it's probably more important that we as Christians keep ourselves in good repair. And that can sometimes mean a rethink, taking stock. And you might be saying to yourself, well, that's all very well, but <laughs> what can I do? Are you really expecting me to do something that's hard? But you see, nothing that we attempt for God is impossible when we involve him. Nothing. I believe when Simon challenged us that morning, he was asking us to think big. Like going out on a limb for Jesus' sake. Going out and doing something that perhaps we felt uncomfortable about before. Taking a risk in order that through your actions or, or through the actions of the church, how people see the church, it will see demonstrated a live church, not one that was 50 years old and resting on its successes. This church, when it was built, I can't remember whether I've got the statistics accurate or not. Someone here will tell me if I haven't, I'm quite sure. But it probably seated in the region of about 1,100 people when it was first built. It didn't have that vestibule at the back. It had uh, pews along the sides, which folded down. Uh, it's up on the gallery there, and, and we had more pews out the front here. They've been taken down now uh, <clears throat> for a variety of reasons, including it's easy to get coffins in and out. And there were there, there were there were pews alongside here at, at right angles, and it and the, it did. It seated about 1,100 people. Well, we don't have congregations of that size now, but we have got a fair sized congregation compared with some of the little churches I go to, where you'd all sit in two rows at the front, and that would be it. Mind you, they don't. They all sit all over the place. But that's another story. But that's a Baptist tradition, isn't it? That we don't sit at the front, for goodness sake. I applaud these two guys at the front here who come and sit here. <laughs> but there we are. It's a, I always, you know, there was a minister once who designed a church, uh, and, and he said to the architect, I want to, um, I want the architect, he says, would you, would you mind, he says, designing it so that there's only one pew, I only want one pew. I want it at the very back, because Baptists always sit at the back. So the architect said, well, what happens when it's full? Oh, he said, well, that's the next thing. It's got to come automatically forward, you see. So it slips forward, and another one pops up at the back. So when it's full of people, and gradually, bit by bit, it'll fill up. Okay, said the architect, and off he went. And he did his drawings, and his builders scratched their heads, and they did it. The great day came when they opened the building. And the minister climbed the steps to the pulpit and he preached away and after 20 minutes, the pulpit sunk. <laughs> His secretary had a word with the architect. You see, Baptists don't like coming to the front, do they? But anyway, enough of that. I believe over the last 50 years, because we've been progressive in this church, we have moved some of the furniture, we have changed the design, we've built a new wing out here and it's being used to God's glory. But, you know, there's other things that are going on, aren't there? Have you ever looked on, on the bookshelves? We've, we've had an avalanche of books in the last few years, avalanche of books which somehow all seem to be 
brilliantly written, and they're, and they're, ah, they're wonderful humans. Oh, thank God for this. It's super. And, and they're praising God and talking about these wonderful things that are going on. Life's not like that, is it, all the time? It's not like that. And we have to get used to the fact that there's some disasters. Goodness me, Haiti, what more sort of a disaster can you get than that? Life isn't all cosy and rosy. And we have to face up to it. We have to be equipped for it. We have to do the right sort of things within our church fellowships to learn how we are best set to help other people. Jesus himself said, didn't he, when we serve other people, when we help other people, it's like we're helping and serving him. And so it is that that challenge that Simon threw out, really one way or another, affects us all. Because we must think about where are we going? What is our role? How are we doing it? Is there anything else I could do? Could I do it better? Perhaps it's just something as simple as trusting him. Trusting in God for the first time. That's a huge step forward. But as I said just now, life isn't always rosy, is it? There are things that happen that knock us flat. And we need help. We need to be picked up. And when something happens to us like that, we need to support each other. And people who are here this morning, hearts go out to you. If you are that person this morning, if you're you're struggling with something that's happened in your life, loss of a loved one, loss of health, bad news, job loss, financial disaster, all those sorts of things. You know, if our hearts are going to go out to you, think what God's heart is doing. I've just returned from a wonderful holiday in Scotland with some super Christian friends. We've had some laughs. We've eaten too much. I put on five pounds, and it probably shows. We've enjoyed beautiful, wonderful mountain scenery, clear air. Ah, smashing. One of the days, we went out for an outing. We went to a place called the Island of Seals. It's not seals as in sort of going, what, what, S-E-I-L-S, which I think is a Scottish word or Gaelic word, which means sail, because the island is shaped like a sail. Well, anyway, there we were enjoying the wonderful view. In fact, the coach driver said, hey, he says, get off the coach, walk over the bridge. It's called the Atlantic Bridge, because it goes over a small part of the Atlantic, so we've been over there. And he says, look at the wonderful view. I'll drive the coach over, he said, if you, and I'll meet you at the other side. And over we go, and there we are, think, wow, cameras out, click, click, click. Absolutely fantastic. And suddenly, with no warning at all, there's a blizzard. Absolutely blizzard. You'd never believe it. And they had seen snow. Hadn't seen snow at all this winter on that island. They saved it for us. And, and it came down in such force, you couldn't see a thing. It was blotted out, totally blotted out. Vanished from sight. And it didn't look like the same place. And, and I, I thought, well, God. <coughs> where's it gone? Well, of course, it was still there, wasn't it? It was just covered up with this blizzard. And, you know, that's a picture of life. We're sailing along merrily, and suddenly, bang, something happens. And and it's all changed. It's all changed. And we wonder what's happened. One thing I just want to say is that it may have changed, but just like when you get up one morning and you look out and there's absolutely nothing but clouds in the sky, 
Are you telling me that the sun's guile? It's there. It might be hidden momentarily by clouds. It's still there. And that's like God. Sometimes things happen in our lives and, and, and we think, well, where's God in all this? And it goes pear-shaped. And we easily lose touch. We lose track. We say, oh, well, you know, friends, God is there all the time. He's still there. And he works in our lives. And, and, you know, that sudden onset of that blizzard which blotted out that view on that particular occasion didn't mean the mountains had gone. You just couldn't see them. And sometimes when things go pear-shaped in our lives, it's like a blizzard, isn't it? And it blots out what we thought was wonderful uh, just for a moment. Of course, it's true. Some things will never be the same again, will they? There will be tragedies in our lives. And things will, won't be the same as before. And that's when we need to turn to God and, and ask him to help us in our need. <clears throat> he wants us to place our complete trust in him and not just selectively do that when it's good. He wants us to trust him when things aren't so good as well. You know, <clears throat> just because we can't see God doesn't mean to say, He's not there. My little granddaughter, Sophia, I'm going to talk about my little granddaughter, Sophia, because I am his, her granddad. And she comes here, and, uh, and she's lovely, and you all keep telling us how lovely she is. And she is. When my wife and I take her sometimes to her preschool, do you know what that little, little girl does? She's only four. She's going into this preschool, and, and, and she, her little hand will come up and hold Grandma's hand or mine. Uh, why? Well, because she's going into a little bit of uncertainty, you know, not quite sure who's going to be there, what it's going to be like today, and, and so she wants that reassurance, and, and she trusts. That's the point, she trusts us. We're not going to take her where it's not comfortable, where it's not safe. We're going to protect her. And, and isn't, isn't that like we are with God? We, we need sometimes, don't we, just to, just to put our hands up and, and, and trust him again. Sometimes we lose sight of that. And we try to go it alone. But God doesn't want us to do that. You know that psalm we read earlier on? As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He's a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He enables me to stand on the heights. Your right hand sustains me. Do you know, there's some lovely adjectives in that. His way is perfect. We can rely on him. He protects us. He strengthens us. He perfects us. He enables us and he sustains us. Now, what more could we want? What more could we want than all that? We can trust God because for him, nothing is impossible. Moments ago, I said to you, I wondered uh, if you were thinking, what on earth are we doing having a, a, a Christmas reading uh, towards the end of January? Do you know, <clears throat> I imagine that Mary, the Virgin Mary, had a bit of an impossible feeling about her. I mean, that little extract we did read earlier on, which describes how, uh, in Luke's Gospel, how first the... the the angel came and, and talks about her reaction of that encounter with the angel. 
And she felt highly vulnerable, and she felt a bit dubious too. Bear in mind that although in the first place it's Dr. Luke, and of course doctors know all things there are to know about this, don't they? They've got all this insight, this kind of special way. And it's Dr. Luke who gave that account of Mary that we read there. He said to her, sorry, he, he, he relates to us that Mary had this had this angel appear and, and, and said, you're great. You see, bearing in mind, Mary had to tell Dr. Luke what had happened because Dr. Luke wasn't there when that happened. So she told him, and so he's recounting this. Wow, you're going to have a baby. Wow. And now we all love that, don't we? When someone says, I'm going to have a baby, or you're going to have a baby, well, I'm not going to have a baby, but someone's going to have a baby. And we say, wow, smashing, what a super news, isn't it? Brilliant, wonderful, wonderful. And uh, yeah, but Mary, what? Mary's so wonderful. Blow that, she says. I don't think it's very wonderful at all. I'm pretty troubled by that. I'm not even married to start with. You think of this shock. You think of this shock. How can this be? I, I, but Luke says, well, well, that was her reaction. And he must have known that because she'd spoken to him. And at first, she hardly did seem ecstatic about having that baby. It wasn't until, as we read later on, she understood what it meant that she began to, to sort of relax a bit. But at that particular point, immediately she heard that, she said, wonderful, my life's going to go topsy-turvy. <laughs> I hadn't planned all this. What are the neighbours going to say? And, and suddenly it went into a kind of a roller coaster mode, you know? And, and there was poor old Mary feeling pretty uncomfortable about what God was telling her. I wonder whether you've ever felt like that. I mean, I wonder, you felt trouble because of something that you've heard and you're not sure how to handle it. You're not quite sure whether that's what God really wants of you. That passage ends up, doesn't it, that uh, Mary said that, well, everything's possible with you. Do you know, I, <clears throat> I don't know whether any of you ever read to Disneyland. I haven't, I can't afford it. In any case, if I did, I wouldn't go on any of the rides. But I have been up to Pleasurewood Hills, which was built very near where Hillary and I used to live. And um, they've got some super rides there, or it might be the Yarmouth Fair, you know, the annual outing for the kids was to take them once a year. We were an half mean. We used to take them once a year, give them rides on the Yarmouth Fun Fair. I can remember standing outside or watching the people going up and down on this roller coaster ride. I was watching them too. There's no way I was going on it. And because it takes your breath away. One minute you're climbing up this great big thing you know, and suddenly boom you're coming head first down and your stomach's up here somewhere not for me we can all recall times in our lives when it's like that can't we when suddenly it's gone horrible we thought we were coasting along sometimes you know god says to you and to me i want you to take a risk for me it may not be very comfortable for you. It may seem I'm turning your thoughts, your, your life, your actions, your, your kind of service on its head. I want you to think about that because I want you to do something for me. You see, it was only after Mary, going back to Mary for a minute, it was only after she had put this before God, I don't feel very wonderful, I'm, I'm troubled, that she had some reassurance. The angel reassured Mary. She would be protected by the Holy Spirit. She needn't be afraid. Nothing is impossible with God. And so, like it was for Mary, whenever God presents us with a tough call, 
for him, to work for him, stand up for him, however daunting that might appear to be, however impossible you might think the task is, remember that. With God, everything is possible. You see, after the angel visited Mary, she felt a, a bit more relaxed. We can read that on in the story. That Christmas story, of course, continued with an 80-mile dash across the, uh, the, <coughs> the, I say the desert, really, from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. No distance at all by car, but you imagine 80 miles along rough tracks, bouncing on the back of a mule, stubborn old mule, when you're kind of nine months pregnant? Well, I have to imagine it, but I bet you mums here can't. I bet you can think a bit more positively about that than I can. And there was Mary faced with this enormous problem. But, but God said, I'll look after you. Because, you know, that was a big ask. She had to trust God. That was a big ask. And sometimes that's the point, isn't it? That God asks of us something big. The fact that we might be attempting something different, something big for him in this coming year, something that we hope is going to be useful to him, is no guarantee that the road's going to be smooth and, and there's going to be no bumps in it, no awkward turns or twists. But it will be smoothed out for us when we trust God. That's the difference. It's smoothed out for us. When we step out in faith and trust him, because, you see, of that one thing, God promises to help us when we are obedient. We can all be guilty, you know, of, uh, of ignoring our own gifts, our own abilities. I don't know whether you watched that program, the Antiques Roadshow, um, uh, road the TV Antiques Roadshow, where people bring their treasures. I actually was in Ipswich when they brought the um, red show here and somebody gave me a piece of jewellery and they said, do you think you could, because I, I, I was doing some voluntary work with the BBC at the time and they said, could you take this for me? I, I can't queue up any longer because I've got to go back to school to get my children and she gave me this tatty old necklace, you see, that her grandmother had given her and she said, do you think you could take that up because you can jump the queue? You can get in, I can't stay. Oh yeah, all right. So I go up to the chap who was doing the jewellery thing at an appropriate moment, I said, hey, by the way, um, <coughs> can you tell me a bit about this? And he said, yes, I can, it's a bit of cheap old rubbish. And there was this woman expecting it to be worth millions, and he sort of said, well, uh, it's probably a uh, great sentimental value to the person that gave it to you, but it's not worth anything other than that. And afterwards, she said, cool, I laugh, wish I'd give you the Giles cartoon that he did especially for me. Oh, I know, see, that was the point, you see could have given me something different. Do you know, occasionally on the roadshow, on the Antiques Roadshow, you see someone come along and, and, and they've got this dirty thing and, uh, and there was one only last week. You may have seen it. This person brought a great big silver statue along, covered in dirt and corruption and it had been shoved in the, in the workshop or the shed for years on end and I don't know what they hadn't stuck on it or grown in it. And this chap looked at it and he kind of scratched his head. You know, as they gently kind of do, and you think they're going to let him down in a minute. Suddenly, sometimes they say, um, <coughs> where did you say this was? And, uh, oh, it's in my workshop or my garage. It's been, you know, stuck in the loft or it's been whatever. Oh, really? Really? How much is it worth, did you say? What? This thing that we're talking about was worth tens of thousands of pounds. And immediately the woman said, well, well, I'll bring it indoors in that case. <laughs> See, and isn't that like us? 
we have things in our lives and we, 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 put, we, we dump them. We probably think they're not worth much. Let God get hold of it. Let God get hold of it. And he will work a miracle with it. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Trusting God, attempting something special for him. He will surprise us with what gifts we've got. What we can do when we lay it before him and let him work for us. I don't know whether the thought of doing something different for God frightens you. It certainly does me. I mean, when Simon said that, I thought, well, what, what does he mean? What can we do? What can I do? What can you do? And we look around. And if you're scared of new challenges, and we all are really, aren't we? Some of us. We like, we like this, this coziness of today. What's happening around us now? But you see, look at those shepherds. Think about those shepherds. What did they do? Well, I tell you what they did. They did exactly what the angel said. And they were only simple people. Simple shepherds. No great education, but they obeyed. They listened and they obeyed. And they were obviously a bit unsure. But they went and they saw the baby Jesus. They were rewarded because they were obedient. And isn't that true of us when we are obedient? God will reward us. He, you know, God's not in the business of, of, uh, of eliminating uh, and destroying. He's in the business of creating. And when he gives us a challenge, he strengthens us to meet that. He doesn't put us down. Not like we do sometimes, our leaders, even our politicians. Well, perhaps I should have said even, but our politicians... You know, we vote people into power and office and then we shoot them. Knock them down, don't we? God says, look, I'm not here to, to, to bring you to a point of doing something and then, then show you up. I'm here to strengthen you, to lift you, to make it possible, to make it happen. And being obedient to God is what he wants of us. Sometimes that means stepping out of our comfort zone but it's a lot easier the moment we rely on God and stop trying to do it on our own. Now, I was speaking to Simon a few weeks ago before, um, or just as, you know, to, talking about today, and I said, Simon, I'm <clears throat> thinking of picking up your challenge that you gave, that in 2010, let's do something different for God. Would you mind if I twisted it at the end and said, with God? You see, there's a big difference, isn't there? Doing something for God means we're trying to do it on our own. Doing it with him is completely different. It empowers us and it allows us to do what we otherwise wouldn't be able to do off our own bat. So what about that challenge? Do something this year that God asks us to. Well, <clears throat> simply listen to him, trust what he said and be obedient. And then we'll find, I think we'll find, nothing is impossible. Because you've got God with you.